0: Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, Joe Masado, who is not on the road today. Instead, Barry is filling in, as we talked about last time. Joe, how are you doing on a day off
1: here? I'm doing well. Um, your prophetic prediction that Barry Trammell would be in Indianapolis and um, this chance would have it. Barry is in indeed in Indy. Uh was in Cincinnati yesterday for, for opening day. Reds, Pirates, get excited, everyone. Baseball is back. And um, yeah, but we're, we're actually here to talk about basketball.
0: I wish I could be prophetic about something a little bit more useful. Not that Barry being out there isn't useful, but if, you know, something about the Thunder or something like that, if I could be prophetic about that. yeah, It, but... doesn't,
1: it doesn't really help anyone that you predicted that. There's no benefit to it other than it sounds cool. Yeah, and something that could have just been totally fed to me, but
0: whatever. Okay, the Thunder win 107-106 over the Detroit Pistons on Wednesday night in somewhat of a dramatic fashion. I could not have uh, been prophetic about that one. Joe, what are your biggest takeaways from that game?
1: Well, my biggest takeaway is that they avoided what would have been brutal back-to-back losses to two of the worst teams, in the NBA the pistons are the worst team in the NBA losers of 17 of their last 18 coming into that and you know even without SGA as he missed both ends of the back to back due to the ankle sprain it it should have been no contest really and i i was a little disappointed in how the thunder came out because i thought i thought they would they would just try to run over the the pistons um after taking that tough loss to the hornets but here's the deal. A lot of NBA games are decided with three pointers. And like good NBA players, subpar NBA players, bad NBA players. If you shoot 48% from three like the Pistons did the other night, um, you're probably gonna win the game. So um kind of looking back on it, in hindsight, the Thunder was lucky to survive that onslaught. I, I mean they did some other things, they forced Detroit into a lot of turnovers um but you know when one team shoots 48 percent, you usually usually win um so they were able to overcome back-to-back like outlier shooting nights from from two bad teams which is like very unlucky that they came at those times very scary yeah jaden ivy came in first shot of the game pull up three
0: goes in i'm like oh this could be a long night here but uh the lead of the story is that Dub gets the game winner off that giddy miss. He gets the offensive rebound. Pretty crazy play, but leading up to that, some wild stuff happens. What was your reaction or your feeling in the building whenever Corey Joseph hit that three to go up by one?
1: Yeah, for, former Longhorn Corey Joseph, who is uh, still doing his thing in Detroit. Um, you, you could just feel the air being... Being sucked out of the building at that point like oh my gosh here we go again um and y- you know like it-, it was a big spot the thunder the thunder was in i mean it-, it went about as as well as it could have when you had a questionable tie up with about seven seconds left and it was such a dramatic ending because you have the jump ball between lou Dort and eugene omarui Team Canada teammates, former Thunder teammates. Um, Omar Rui had a great game, by the way, and is like the most beloved former Thunder player of all time in, in the locker room. I mean, the, the guys just love him. Um, here's the craziest thing about this, Michael, that I thought Lou Dort won the jump ball, which was like the play of the game that led to Giddy tracking it down. Giddy's missed shot rolls over the rim. J. Dub puts it back up and in. J. Dub's the hero. But Dort winning the jump ball made this happen. And after he he used his left hand, which like makes sense when you look at the angle, like he wanted to tap it into that corner, which is like easier to do that with your left hand than with your right hand. You would have to like backhand it basically. But I thought it was so funny that he walks up to the post game podium and like realized, oh, I used my left hand. I don't know why I used my left hand. I I thought that was a very funny and minor part of all this. Yeah. Just in the heat of battle, big moment. Just go up there. It's like, I don't even know what hand I'm going to use. figure out what what hand am I going to jump with um but it it worked out
0: well and then uh we talked to Mark afterwards about it and I asked him because I was a little bit surprised because I tweeted before just assuming whenever they had the timeout after the Corey Joseph's uh, shot that Giddy would be the one passing in Mm -hmm. they have J-Dub passing in instead and they got a pretty good look uh, initially before the tie-up where I thought Giddy made the layup from my angle and my seat And then Lou Dort and Eugene get tied up, but very fun things all around. It was a nice seeing Nick Gallo getting a a bath on national TV from all the guys with the water getting poured on
1: him. Yeah. And Jalen Williams, J-Dub, I mean, both J-Dub and and J-Will have a lot of hair, uh, but it was was funny to see J-Dub get soaked as well. And, you know, it's like right spot at the right time, but a lot of things had to happen. Um, you know, if, if Giddy's like push shot at the end, falls short and lands on the other side of the rim, Thunder probably don't win that game. But Lou Dort crashes for the offensive rebound, kind of distracts J-Dub's man. And J-Dub is there just like not boxed out at all. He's, it's like the easiest tip in of all time, really, um, e- even given the circumstances, but put it up and in he's the hero. The thunder, as you have to do in March, survives and advances. It wouldn't have been a knockout blow as far as the plan, but it sure would have been a, a punch that would have sent the thunder staggering and would have would have zapped a lot of momentum, especially with like, you know, SGA out. You don't know when he's coming back. He just lost back to back home games um to the Hornets and the Pistons. Like things are looking pretty grim at that point. Um, and you still would have liked to to have won both of those games, but to get the get the second one in that fashion, I think gives the Thunder a bit of a boost. It would have been,
0: yeah, incredibly deflating if they ended up dropping that game. But on the Pistons side, Jaden Ivey, he was awesome. That was one of my big takeaways. He was really, really good. And then I really like Jalen Duran. Um, I mean this in a nice way. Maybe some of it is just because he was guarded by Poku coming back from injury because it looked like um, two different, I don't know, looked like the men's league versus the high school team at times where Jalen Duren was bodying him and doing some nice stuff. And then there's still some hope from James Wiseman was my, my other thought on the Pistons. Did you have any Pistons thoughts from the game?
1: Yeah, I, I know James Wiseman's putting up better numbers and some people are sort of high on him right now I I just think like he just looks so mechanical to me and um I don't know I hope he figures it out I really do because the the amount of pressure that he's faced is is immense I'm with you on Jay Nivey he's had a heck of a finish uh to to this rookie year and I think he's going to be very very good I I mean he is just like I know he was getting some of the Russell Westbrook comps in the pre-draft process and you can sort of see that just with the explosiveness um, shout out to Jay will for standing in front of him multiple times and drawing his sixth foul because while Jay Ivy is, is not necessarily a big guy, he's coming at you like a jet and you're just like standing in front of that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the drives and the, the three point uh, shot that really impressed me with Ivy and Duran. Like I, I understand why, you know, the, the Thunder passed on Undurne. On I think he went 13th. Um, you, you know, maybe not the easiest fit in the Thun, Thunder system. I, I certainly think they could have made it work, but I'm not going to say, like, oh, they should have taken him. My takeaway on Jalen Duran, though, is everyone else's takeaway. He is, like, this chiseled giant who looks like he's 27 years old. And, in fact, he was, like, the youngest player in that, in that draft or one of the youngest and doesn't even turn 20 until November. He won't even be 20 until the start of next season, um, which is just insane. So <laughs> I certainly, uh, I like him. I like the idea of like a, you know, him as a pick and roll partner with with Kate Cunningham and with Jay Um you know, they're, they're going to need some other young pieces, but barring, Barring health catastrophe continuing for Cade Cunningham, they're still gonna be in a good spot. The rebuild won't be in as good of a spot as the Thunder or maybe the Magic TBD on which one you would choose on that, but there there's some promising signs. It's just been it's just been a horrible year for, for them, but it could all change. They land, young Vic. Yeah, if they they do that, that's
0: a game changer. I'd take Orlando's <laughs> core right now, but if they get Victor Womenyama, then yeah, we'll we'll have a an emergency meeting to talk about it. But James Wiseman, I don't think he's gonna turn around and become the number two pick that a lot of people expected. But if he can just become like Steven Adams, I think that's definitely a win for the Pistons.
1: Yeah. That that's an interesting comp. Like he's so much of like Adams' worth, I feel like, is like the the mentality and mm-hmm. like being willing to do the dirty work, whereas like Wiseman has been famous for like, you know, s- since he you know, first got to high school. I mean, he's like been a big big name recruit for a long time, and like is used to being that guy. But at some point, you know, even even these top guys have to realize like, hey i'm I'm not going to be that guy in the NBA. I've got to find my my niche." And um, like Andrew Wiggins is a good example of that with what he's done. Uh, with Golden State, not to unironically un- bringing up, fitting in with Golden State. But Wiseman's still young. Maybe he'll figure it out. I-, I don't know. Like, Detroit seems to be the dumping ground for, you know, former top guys who are trying to figure it out. I have no faith that Marvin Bagley III no, is going to figure it out. <laughs> no, he got oh, sent boy. to
0: another dimension by Lou Dort on that uh, poster dunk on him, but those last Ooh. things that we'll touch on here from the Detroit game is um Aaron Wiggins saves the bench. The Thunder bench had 23 points, 19 were from Aaron Wiggins. And then um Eugene O'Rui, as we talked about beloved Thunder uh former teammate, him getting in the photo bomb was the coolest thing of the night.
1: Yeah, like Thunder players ran over to Eugene wanting to take a picture with him and it's like this guy didn't even spend a full year in Oklahoma city. I mean, he played in like 23 games, but I asked Mark Dignall about him after the game and he was just like, he's the most authentic real person knows who he is. Doesn't try to be anything else. And that just sort of endears himself to everyone. Um What, what was the other thing before Eugene? Oh, Wiggins, Wiggins saving basketball. Um, <laughs> It adds fuel to the fan base's fire about wanting to play Aaron Wiggins 48 minutes a night. He he was very, very good. Um, Made, made some big-time shots. I do think Mark Zagnalt was trying to send a little bit of a message in his post-game press conference by everyone was so upset the night before that Aaron Wiggins didn't play more. He's like, he wasn't very good the other night, so tonight was a good you know, was a good bounce back effort, came out, responded to that. I think it was like a little kind of message to the fans like, hey, you're not you're not seeing everything out there um, that we're seeing. So I don't know. I I don't know if you cut that as well. That was a personal attack. As much as
0: you call me the leader of the Dario bandwagon, I've been pounding the table for Aaron Wiggins. Like, could he just play 48 minutes all the time because he just does good things? I know that's not feasible, but it was like anytime Aaron Wiggins is in good things happen the,
1: there's the, you, you can't be on the Aaron Wiggins bandwagon because like it's it, it it's like been crushed under the weight of everyone it's like there's no room left on on Aaron Wiggins Island like it's just you know slowly like just being submerged into the sea under under the weight of everyone that's on it so um but yeah I don't know
2: that's a it's the season-long Aaron Wiggins conundrum. We'll never
0: know, but I see the Thunder back on track. J-Dub was the story of the night, and I wanted to ask you about his evolution over his rookie season because it feels like most rookies hit the rookie wall, whereas he's just completely just ascended more and more. It's almost like he hit a speed boost, like he's in Mario Kart or something because he just keeps getting better throughout the season.
1: Are you a good Mario Kart player?
0: I'm not. I, I can't like build all the... The new um, carts and stuff, where it's like you have to have special wheels. If it was like Mario Kart sixty four or like Double Dash, I could play that. But the new ones, I've aged out of that, unfortunately.
1: I would say I'm an I'm an overdrifter. I I, I drift too much and don't know when to t- when when to lay off that. Um, yes, J Dub. Back to back to J Dub. You know, we we talk a ton about his finishing at the rim, and rightfully so. One of his biggest evolutions this year has been the three-point shot.
2: He, in the month of March, which
1: ends today, shot 19 of 38 from three in March. That's, that's 50%. So let's, let's go back to November, the first full month of the season. He shoots 29% from three. Bad. December, 32% from three. Getting better, but still well below league average. January, 33% from three getting even better but still below league average. February, 38% from 3. He's now above average. Um and on 32 attempts. And now on 38 attempts, um in, in March 50% from 3. So like I mean he's he's improving in in just about every facet of his game. I, I think he's still figuring things out defensively on a night-to-night basis but you can see that potential um the finishing at the rim just remains so impressive by rookie standards he looks comfortable taking on a larger role when he's the only guy when he's the main initiator out there um and now he's got his three-point shot falling and it's like man who knows what this guy's ceiling is
0: yeah, sometimes I even forget about him being a rookie, and sometimes you think about possessions like, well, I wish he could have done this or that, and you kind of nitpick it, and you just forget completely that he's in his first year in the NBA, where other guys like Jang, you give the benefit of the doubt because you can just see how young they are on the floor. I don't know if that's just me, but do you ever catch yourself with J-Dub that way?
1: I do, and like this is not a knock on, on, on J-Dub at all, but he is about to be 22. So like there is a difference between yeah. watching him and, and watching Jang or watching Poku from two years ago. Josh Giddy is like a year and a half younger than Jalen Williams, which like puts it into perspective, like how impressive what, what Josh Giddy is doing. Um But yeah, like he, he looks like a guy who is older, more mature, knows what he's doing on the court. And, um, I'm not saying that age limits his his ceiling whatsoever because we've seen him improve over the course of one season. Just wait till he has another full off season and, and then comes back um for his sophomore year. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like, usually you don't rookies aren't dependable, but it he seems as dependable as a rookie could be.
0: Yeah, most rookies, it's like, I'll just take whatever we can get. And then there are times with J-Dub this year where we're like, well, it would have been really nice if this happened, where you're almost nitpicking it because he's been so consistent and so good. But you mentioned it, pre-January 1st stats to post-January 1st stats. He's averaging five more points per game, two more rebounds, one more assist, a whole nother steal, um, almost half a block a game. His shooting splits have really improved from 51, 30, 75 to 534083 and he's averaging 5 more minutes a game over that stretch.
1: Yeah, that's uh that goes back to what Mark Dignault said like he is not hitting a wall. He's he's taking a jackhammer to it and just just walking on through. I mean, it's it's been crazy.
0: Yeah, they say that most guys rookies especially and younger players, the more responsibility, the more usage that you give them, the more it kind of reveals the picture of who they are as a player. And he's just taken the ball and just knocked it out of the park every time they give it more responsibility, it seems.
1: Yeah, and, you know, this – I know we keep talking about this rookie of the year race, but he continues to build a compelling case. I still don't think he's going to win it, but I think the gap is, like, getting more and more narrow by the game. Um and especially with SGA out and him having the ball in his hands more putting up more just raw stats. That's the thing that he, he lacks behind Paolo. Now it's too it's too late to like make a big dent in those with this many games played. Um but he's he's making it interesting. Do
0: you have any favorite J Dub moments on or off the floor so far this season?
1: J Dub's an interesting guy. I like J Dub because he's pretty quirky. He's like good at. Sometimes I'm like, man, it's hard to get a, it's hard to get a usable quote out of this guy because like, he's. He's into these like short, like punchy, quotes, or he says something that's like, kind of like blunt, but not not in a rude way. But it's like, oh yeah, he said all that he needed to say. Like the other night. He said, "Ugly wins are wins." That's a good quote. Ugly wins are indeed wins. It was a very J dub quote. Or like I have long arms or That was know. on my list. <laughs> yeah, stuff stuff like that. And it's 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 sort of <laughs> it's uh it's a little strange, but at the same time I like it because it's it's different. I had this really well
0: constructed question I had for him a few weeks ago. It was like, you know, you were uh late bloomer in high school, late bloomer in college you arrive in the draft and you're a late riser obviously you're not surprised that you're doing well but are you surprised at all or did you expect to hit the ground running like this and he just goes
1: yes that that was his full answer some guys like know how to say a lot without really saying anything at all um i i really like billy donovan but billy was like the master at this like you would ask him one question and then he would have like a two paragraph response and I'd get done transcribing, and I was like, he didn't really say anything. Um, J Dub is is the opposite of that. Usually, there's there's something that, you know, he's answering the question, but he's uh he's not gonna try to use flowery language or dress it up. He's he's just gonna answer what was asked of him, which is sometimes uh sometimes more entertaining than than helpful for our purposes. But uh, he's not up there to uh. To to fill the pages of the Oklahoman. So
0: unfortunately, no. We're gonna have to get some long quotes <laughs> for him. But my my two other favorite ones were the first, uh it was one of the games when he um when Shay was doing a presser and he just opened the door and yelled, That's an all-star right there, as Shay was talking mm-hmm. about him. And then he was like, Oh, are you saying nice things about me? And Shay tells him to go home, get out of here, and he's like all right, Dub. Fine, whatever. And like shrugs and just like looks at him like how hey, you'd look at your younger brother. That was fun. And then the uh, first one where Shay went in for a presser and J Dub joined him and just didn't say anything for the first five minutes. Just nodded and said good answer to all Shay's questions. All yeah, just, answers, just,
1: yeah, just just uh, just just watching Shay. Um, another one I'll bring up. There, there was a community event at the beginning of the year. This might have been even before the season started, but um, J Dub's parents are both both mi- were both in the military, so he moved around a lot as a kid. So for Veterans Day, he visited Tinker Air Force Base in, in Midwest City, and you know met some of the troops and stuff like that. But we were on a bus to get into the base, and then coming out of the base, and like the weather turned in a in a snap, as it tends to do here. And got very cloudy, rainy, thunder. I mean, the rain is just pouring. And Jalen Williams, you know, grew up in in Arizona, where he's he's not dealing with this uh, sort of severe weather, and he seemed genuinely scared and not prepared uh, for for being an Oklahoman for the foreseeable future. So um, that was pretty funny, I thought. And you were there to be his.
0: No pun intended. No pun intended. I'll I'll say it. Thunder buddy,
1: <laughs> bad joke. Boo! Boo. No, that Boo. That was yeah, tomatoes. That that, was, that was actually pretty good because I didn't know. I I didn't even catch where you were going until uh until you you paused for a second. But yeah, I, I appreciate that. Dramatic effect.
0: But we'll move into the next topic, which is our top five biggest questions about the Thunder with five games left. Each of us will have five questions of our own. We can go back and forth, or just five at a time, however you would like to kick it off, Eh, kick us off, sir.
1: Let's go back and forth. Would you like to start it out? What Um, is your first question? Yeah, I want to start it out because I feel like I have an obvious one. Um, Biggest question is when Shea Gilgis Alexander, I feel like I said Shea Gilgis, Shea Gilgis Alexander will return from this ankle sprain. Um, you know, barring a change on the injury report with outdated information. By the time you're listening to this, he's listed as out for Friday night at the Pacers. That would be his third straight missed game after suffering this injury on Sunday in Portland. Um, it looked pretty bad then. He stayed in the game because, like, he he didn't want to rest, let it let it get sore. It's like just kind of use that adrenaline and and fight through it, but it's one of those things where you wake up the next morning and it, it might feel pretty rough. Yeah. And that that's what happened uh, to Shea missing these back-to-back games. He was out on the floor Wednesday night going through a light warm-up, getting shots up, you know. Um, so that's, that's a good sign. Now, I have no idea, like, how that translates to getting back into full-intensity NBA games, but, you know, the Thunder on the season has treaded water better than you would think without SGA. They've gone six and seven, I think, without them. But you just saw how dangerous this can get when two bad teams come in, SGA is out, and they lose one of them and, and barely win the other. So for the Thunder to make a play-and-push or to be at all competitive in a one-game elimination, um, they need Che to get back.
0: I had essentially the same first question. How healthy is Shea? Can he stay healthy for final stretch and potentially his postseason run? Not to say that he's injury prone, but he's had these lingering issues throughout the season, most recently being that um, strained abdomen and now this ankle injury. And I just wonder, with these games down the stretch, when you're going to need to squeeze all the juice out uh, as much as possible out of Shea playing and getting as many minutes as possible um, I hope I'm wrong, but I do have like some level of concern about those injuries coming back around at a, at a bad
2: time of the season.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's a totally fair point. I have less concern though, because y- you know, it first, you know, he was shut down a couple of years ago with the plantar fasciitis. I, I mean, he, he did deal with an ankle thing at the end of last year. This is also an ankle thing, but it's, It's kind of a freak deal. It's like, you know, you play basketball, you're going to turn your ankle. Um, I don't know if that makes him injury prone. Now, the abdominal strain could be something because, like, that's something Mark Dignall said he's kind of been dealing with for a long time, so we don't know the full extent of that. Um, But it's been kind of – there have been a lot of injuries, but it's been, like, a lot of minor, seemingly unconnected injuries, which would make me feel better than, like – oh man, his his knee is acting up again or his shoulders acting up again or or something like that.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think he's injury prone, but he has had just different nicks throughout the season. And then more of what I was saying was that he's had these things recently and I just would be concerned that one of them flares up or he lands on that same ankle again or he gets hit Mm -hmm. with a really hard screen or falls on his back like he has on a couple of drives and he kind of re-aggravates those things. That would be my bigger concern.
1: Yeah, and he absorbs a ton of contact. I mean, he's driving to the rim more than anyone. He is often falling uh as he's like getting fouled and like has taken a couple of tough falls and it's like he pauses for a second before he gets up. So we we've seen that with some guys like they take on such a big role that toward the end of the year they're they're really nicked up. So yeah, that's that's going to be uh, something to watch, Michael. What's number two on your list here
2: of most important questions?
1: Number two on my list. This is. OK, I'm I'm going to say it. What, what will the if the Thunder makes the play in. I'm wondering what the rotations will actually look like, because. We've sort of assumed like, OK, that's when they're going to play their best state guys. We we. Had a podcast a week or so ago about who our you know play play in rotation guys would be, and I bring this up because it's a very topical subject among Thunder fans. And here's what I'll say about it: you can point to, yeah, maybe like Jared Butler and Poku shouldn't be on the floor at the same time, or something like that, or or you may think that you have a better idea as far as minutes go. But, like, the Thunder is not changing anything that they've done throughout the whole season. Like, they've experimenting with minutes. This isn't me, like, saying you have to support what the Thunder is doing. This is me, like, here's the logic of it. Playing random guys at random times is what's helped uncover Isaiah Joe. It's how you get an Olivier Sarr game. It's how you get a Lindy Waters game. Um, it, It's, you know, JRE played really well the other night when it's like, why is JRE even playing in this game? So that that's kind of what they've done the whole year. And they've got a three month track record, three month plus of, you know, being one of the, I, I kept using the top five stat. I haven't looked at the net rating uh, recently since January 1st, but. I would feel pretty confident in saying they've been one of the 10 best teams in the league for a three-month stretch while doing this. So I don't think they're going to change it up now. And I assume they're going to change it up when one game means everything. But I don't even know. I, I, I have no idea. It would not surprise me at all if we see 11 guys play in a play-in game. And it's like, yep, this has worked for us the whole year. We think of it as like this long-term approach, and it is. But like, I think they think it's the best short-term approach as well. Like, they're just they do seemingly crazy things, and uh, it's it's been
0: working. The rotation was definitely on my list of questions. You know, like you said last week, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the eight man, um, man rotation. You mentioned if fans don't want to see Jared Butler or Poku or Sarr out there, but the Thunder due to injuries, or we're, we're running out of live bodies here. So if you Keep cutting it shorter and shorter. You're going to run into some rotation issues just in terms of guys that I trust. Shea, Giddy, Dub, Dort, Wiggins, Joe. And it's kind of who else? Because Sarge Mm -hmm. was a guy that both of us had who's just completely out of the rotation now. So that looks uh, very dumb. Jerry bounced back somewhat against the Lakers. He's back in the rotation, but he's only really had one game. And then Jay will is kind of in and out on some nights. He's playing like really, really big minutes and then other nights, not as much he's starting, but I don't know. I'm having issues with like, that's around seven guys who I trust, who I would imagine Mark would um, open the, the rotation up a little bit more to some other guys. Maybe, you know, matchup will depend, but you, you're running into some weird scenarios because you can't play Wiggins and Jada, at the five all game.
1: Yeah. And like, it is funny that we were pretty sure that Sh- Sharic would be in that rotation, and, and now he's, you know, just collecting dust on the on the bench. But, like, would you be shocked if he plays 15 minutes tonight or, like, nope. plays in the next few games and is in the plane rotation? Yeah, it's like, I wouldn't be either. So, that's kind of the point of this whole thing. We're covering the steam on a day to day basis, watching every game. We don't know what's going on. And, that's part of the strategy. The Pacers don't know what the Thunder is going to do tonight. And again, I'm not saying this is the best strategy. I'm just saying it's a Thunder strategy, and it's been one that has worked far better than anyone could expect. So, again, I'm not telling people, hey, you cannot complain about the rotations or this, this, and this. You can do it at everyone. I don't, I don't care what you say. But, They've been pretty committed to this plan, and the plan has worked. So to think that they're going to change something up with five games to go, I just don't see it happening. They
0: haven't been in exact order, but we are two for two on the same questions. What's your third question? Hopefully, we're not
1: aligned for this right. whole thing. I'm I'm gonna. This is piggybacking off this last question, uh, and I don't think it's going to be on your list. Um, will fans find a way to somehow be upset angry? with however this season ends. Yes. This is a pointed question. Um, I want to very briefly address this. There was an op-ed that ran in the Oklahoman that got a a lot of attention on Thunder Twitter. That, listen, I think the op-ed was ridiculous. I had no idea the op-ed was running. I have, I I don't know the person that wrote the op-ed. I don't like this is totally separate from the sports desk. I have no idea the process of how anything like, like this even gets published. Um, I was, I was kind of mad that it did run because like, in my mind, it sort of like undermines our coverage and gives that equal weight to how we've been covering the team and and, and analyzing the team. So
2: I'm I don't like that. rant. Anyway,
1: not by, not by decision. Um, but this question goes back to that. Clearly that fan is upset. The fan is very upset. That fan feels duped. I don't know how they feel duped.
2: I don't know who duped them, but anyway,
1: this is, I, I can't put myself in, in the shoes, man, having my trouble. I, I can't put myself in the, in the shoes of a fan. I don't know how they feel. I'm trying to look at this as objectively as possible. But here's all I'll say. Just, just try to tr- try to transport yourself back to October and looking at this year and saying like, man, on March 31st, the team we cheer for that no one thinks is going to be good is going to be in the play-in race. And Shea is going to be probably first team all NBA and J-Dub is going to be the second best rookie. um, Maybe the best rookie in, in the class. Everything's going to be great. And now we get to this point and some fans are like angry or like upset about rotations. And it's like, come on people. Like this is, this is the, this is the last year where everything should be fun. Like there's no pressure on this team. there's, a lot of young guys that it's been fun to watch develop. And I get that you're going to be happy with wins and upset with losses, but you you just got to put it in perspective of how you thought this was going to, to play out. And like, if, if you're getting upset now about like Jared Butler minutes, like you're just really setting yourself up for disappointment next season, the season after that, when they're playing big time games and like, You are going to, it's going to ruin your night when the Thunder loses. Don't let it ruin your night now. I said I wasn't going to tell fans how to feel, but that's, that would be my message. I just find this whole thing of like some people being upset at this point. It just doesn't make sense to me, Michael. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, I can get it on a game-to-game basis, kind of getting sucked in like that Hornets game definitely was. There were some basketball feelings from Thunder fans going around. Yeah, But yeah. the these are the good old days. And whether you like it or not, because when the team does compete, you're going to be looking back. It's like, you remember how fun that season was in 2022, 23 that like had real no consequences. So just everything that Thunder did, they overachieved and it was great. But I think some fans are getting restless, justified or not, because they've been on this road trip of the rebuild and they can kind of see the destination in sight and they're getting a little bit restless, justified or not. And it's like the parents yelling at the kids in the back of the car. It's like, if you could just wait, we are almost there.
2: Yeah. I think that's very well said. I will also say. And I know I'm not,
1: uh, not making many friends uh, in, in the old fan base with, with this, but like, I think the fans, I mean, we we've talked about this. I think they've been late to the party for a good chunk of the season. I think it's like, You know, some people still think the thunder is tanking or whatever, or just like losing every game, and like has not at all paid attention to this season, the step that SGA has made, the step that J-Dub's made, uh, Giddy, all all of this stuff, and you know the the attendance has not been great. I think a lot of people. I'm gonna stop myself. I think a lot of people are realizing
2: that. Um and really there's
1: I mean, I'm spend your money however you want to spend your money. I I, I know all that stuff, but like, you know, if it if it's not like full and loud for for these games, I, I don't think it's the best sign. I, I think it's more of a sign that hey, Oklahoma City is not like an outlier fan base where it's gonna be like crazy no matter what. I think it's like a lot of other NBA fan bases, and that if the team is good, people are going to show up and be loud. And if the team is even like middling but exciting and middling this year, it's not going to be as crazy. And um yeah, that's a. Uh, I agree. Kind of I, how I feel I, about I think this? That
0: there are a lot of people late to the party who are joining in later in the season. Which great to have you. Happy to have you here. But it is providing a new energy in the arena and for the fan base that wasn't there throughout the season. Because I think the fans that have been there from the start to now have a little bit of a different perspective compared to the fans. who so it's like, oh, we're good now. And then they get engaged and they have those basketball feelings and they want to they almost want to be angry about stuff.
1: Also, we have nothing. The Thunder is still so young. We have nothing to compare it to. The first season, they were bad. But it didn't matter because the NBA was in town. Everyone's fired up. Then they're good. Then they're really, really good. And then they're one of the best teams in, in the NBA for the next decade. And then they go through the rebuild. You, you've got the weird COVID season. You've got a season without any fans in the arena. Then you've got last season, obviously turned a lot of people off. And it's like, this is the time to, to get excited again. And um, I'm not... I mean, listen, it doesn't affect me. I'm I'm just calling it like I see it. And I, I think it's been underwhelming. Well, we'll move on to my next
0: question, which is, is Isaiah Joe going to take all the threes for this team? This season, the Thunder as a team are shooting 36.5% from three and are making 12.2 th- uh, threes per game on 34.1 attempts. Isaiah Joe by himself is making 2.2 threes per game on five per- four attempts so with Lou Dort also taking a little over five a game Dort and Joe account for one-third of the threes taken by the Thunder I'll touch on Dort later but to me this is puts a ton of pressure on Isaiah Joe to make threes and as the season has gone on I found this out last night doing some research Isaiah Joe's shooting has become more and more of a premium his three-point usage has gone up every single month this season He went from one attempt in October to 3.7 attempts per game in November, 4.5 in December, 6.2 in January, 6.6 in February, and now he's all the way up to seven attempts from three per game in March, especially with Lindy out. And currently Shea, Giddy, and J-Dub are not exactly guys who are going to hoist threes on a high volume. I think that it is something to be concerned about. I mean, Giddy and J-Dub are ranked seventh and eighth on the team in threes attempted per game and shaves not even in the top 10 so in that category i think it puts a ton
1: on joe's plate to produce and come through from three that's a good one i, I think it's too late in the year to expect shay to change a shot diet um Dub mentioned his three-point stats earlier so he's becoming more reliable Dort, say what you want he's gonna get the shots up that's not the problem um you know, Aaron Wiggins, like he's a hey. If I'm open, I'll shoot it. Same with same with Jay Will, but you know the sample's too small. But you reading off those numbers made me look up his, his percentages and um, Isaiah Joe. So in in February, sh- shorter month, but even going back to January, 80 attempts from three in January, 73 in February, 113. In March and January shot47 shot 44 percent shot from three February shot 48 percent from three. Uh, in March he shot 34 percent from three. So like as those attempts have skyrocketed, it's come at the expense of his efficiency. I'm not saying the two things are correlated um, but something to monitor.
0: Well, I mean, if you're having to take more shots, you're probably taking higher level of difficulty. I think that's just kind of the the give and take of things. But the Thunder we've seen this year have lost a lot of the games just due to the math equation of three more than two. And I think putting all of your eggs in the basket of Isaiah Joe and I love Isaiah Joe. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a dangerous game to be playing, though, whenever it's like all of our three point production is kind of in this one guy.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a good point. So, what is your your third question? or Are we up to four here for you? I think we're up uh, to four. This is
1: my this is my fourth. Uh, I'll just go through this really quickly because we've kind of touched on it. Uh, just more look at the the awards races. I, I think the Thunder is getting a, a lot of buzz um, from national folks who could uh, certainly sway this in, in some ways. But can J. Depp continue his Rookie of the Year push? You know how many. How many coach of the year votes is Mark Dignall going to get? Um SGA most improved. That one is that one's weird to me, but he's he's gonna finish in the top three for sure. It looks like a race between him and Mark and, and, and Jalen Bronson. And more importantly for SGA, much more important than most improved, all NBA, I'm becoming increasingly um I, I think the likelihood of SGA getting first team all NBA is pretty high at this point. Like, you just look at some of the other guards. John Morant has had his issues. Damian Lillard has been spectacular, but his team stinks and he's, you know, not going to play the rest of the year. Stephen Curry has a games played issue. Luka Doncic might not make the play in. Same with Shea. And I think those two guys will be the first team guards, Shea and Luka. But it's just hard to, you know, Donovan Mitchell, I think he's behind Shea. De'Aaron Fox, for, for as great as the Kings have been, I mean, Fox might not even be the most valuable player on, on his own team. Um, with Sabonis, so I think it's becoming pretty likely that, that Shea is going to make first-team All-NBA, which is an incredible accomplishment. So my question is just, how are these award races going to shake out? Um, as you have uh, alluded to, I think on a previous podcast, we're going to have a another show about this. I got my ballot yesterday. No decisions have been made.
0: You haven't just put but it, that, just inked it up in Sharpie just immediately. It's like, I want this, this, and this. I don't want to hear I anything.
1: Think, <laughs> I think if someone sent in their ballot yesterday upon receiving it, they their vote should be taken away. Just wait. There's felt, a few games
0: left. I felt that way whenever the voters, I know that this is an NBA pod, but whenever um, voters submitted their ballot for Tua before Kyler got to play, Kyler Murray got to play against Texas. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, OK, so you submit it before this game. Yeah, you should have your vote taken away. But
1: what's 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 the rush? What's the rush
0: anyway? Anyway, yeah, um, and then my fourth question is, who's the closing big for the Thunder or um, when they close out or who's their go-to big? Jay will would seem like the obvious pick, but like we mentioned, Jerry has been playing. Sarich and Sar have gotten their chances. Or Sarich and Sar have gotten their chances lately. They could go microball with Dub and Wiggins. But I don't know. I think that that is some level of wondering who the the big is that they play because they're going to have to against a lot of these teams. Like, a Minnesota, a New Orleans, a Lakers who all have pretty good
2: and two dominant big men. That
1: is a very good question. I am jealous it wasn't on my list um it's It's going to be matchup dependent and I mean, the other night we saw Anthony Davis just absolutely destroy the thunder, so like I don't think the Thunder has an answer for that, and i and I know that. You know, obviously they can they can beat the Lakers, um, in a one game playing situation, but I think they're going to have to get pretty creative and show a ton of different looks. Um, The Timberwolves obviously present um, a unique challenge. Very sad, by the way, that that Nas Reed is uh, looking like he's going to miss the next several weeks, if if not the rest of the season. Um, So yeah, that's. I think the thunder is is comfortable playing small, certainly. Um, so that that gives them kind of the options to, you know, to to go the micro ball route with Wiggins and, and J. Dub. Um, I also think they're confident in J. Will, Jerry. I would be a little hesitant to put in a big spot like this, but they might be in a position where they're forced to. And as crazy as it sounds, they might be forced to put Poku in a position, um, just given the length and size and like semblance of rim protection that, that he provides. This uh this really goes back to the Kinrich Williams injury because like they were so good with Kenrich at the five in in those lineups. Um and they haven't been able to to quite replicate that. So yeah, that's a big question. What is your final question here? Final
2: question um
1: I, uh, what will the last game of the season mean anything for Memphis? Um, so five games left. Thunder ends their season next Sunday, a week from this coming Sunday at home, against the Memphis Grizzlies. And if the Thunder's looking at a, like, must-win situation to where, like, that puts them in the play-in, that that, that puts them in the play-in, or it means the difference between Finishing ninth or tenth or eighth or ninth, which both mean a lot, whether or not you're hosting that that nine and ten game, or if you make the eight uh, seven eight game, you've got an extra game to play with. It's double elimination at that point. Um, and I bring up that final game because it's impossible to know like what seeds are already going to be set and what teams are going to be motivated to play. And you look at the Grizzlies; they're three games behind the Nuggets. So, it's very unlikely that they're going to catch
2: Denver. But possible, I suppose.
1: Very unlikely. Sacramento, they have a two-game cushion on the Kings. So, Sacramento's in third, um, two games back of the Grizzlies. That's that's kind of a wide cushion in both directions for the Grizzlies. They might not have anything at all to play for um, in that last game against the Thunder. Might as well sit your guys. Um, and that could benefit the Thunder. Be a very big, solid go in the Thunder way if
0: they didn't have anything to play for. But yeah, I think that's a very good question. My last one was what version of Lou Dort offensively to the Thunder get? This is not to pile on him, but, you know, Lou Dort's defense is a constant, and a huge part of what the Thunder culturally as a team and his defense sets the tone as a key for their scheme in a lot of ways. At the same time, the Thunder this season have won and lost a lot of games ba- uh, on the back off games off the back of what type of offensive game Lou Dort has in this season the Thunder Joe are Arth- and even 35 and 35 Lou Dort plays but how different are his stats in wins versus losses in wins Lou is averaging 15 points per game, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals and 1 block on 43 37 79 shooting splits in losses uh, he's averaging 12.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, 0.3 blocks on 35-31-77 splits. Uh, his shots Ooh. are very, very similar. He takes 12 shots a game, basically, and wins or losses, five and a half threes threes in both. But, yeah, the production is similar, but there's an 8% drop in his shooting from the field and 6% from three.
1: Good stuff, young Mike. I'm going to have to steal this for a story. Um, that's very interesting, especially when you consider the attempts are similar and the shot diet is similar. It kind of says that Lou Dort is like kind of the swing piece, which, which makes sense. Like guys like Shea and Giddy and J Dub are to the point where they're so consistent and you can count on what they're gonna provide for the most part on a night to night basis, with with little variance. There's a whole lot of variance with Lou Dort. You have no idea if he's gonna be on, if he's gonna be off. And those those stats really, really point to the importance of whether or not blue making shots re- results in a win or a loss.
0: And that's really what I wanted to touch on is him being one of the catalysts for this offense is not to say, you know, oh, he can't shoot or this or that. But he is very, very heavily involved in this offense, whether people like it or not. I think that he needs to be involved in it. There's a lot of guys who just aren't going to be willing to take shots. And he is willing to take those shots, which is one of his biggest uh, weaknesses and strengths. And the Thunder need him to take those. Like I mentioned with Isaiah Joe, he and uh, Dort combined for a third of the Thunder's three point production. So a lot of these games could be decided on the back of, you know, just what version of Lou Dort do we get that night? Yeah.
1: Those are 10 big questions. 10 Although, big questions. Eight eight questions since we had a couple. Um, we'll, we'll go with 10. They're that so big, was, they take out the good. extra space.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And then the last thing that we'll touch
0: on here is I just wanted to um, check on the schedule for the remaining teams who are around the Thunder in the play-in mix. Um, just chime in whenever you feel like it. But the Pels are the seven seed and lead the Thunder by one game, plus a tiebreaker. The Pelicans' last five games are a rough schedule with the Clippers, Kings, Grizzlies on the second night of a back-to-back uh, home against the Knicks. And then finally at Minnesota to wrap things up. All five teams that are they are playing in that mix are in a playoff or play-in spot.
1: But how about what they did last night? Did you see that? I did. They, uh, they win in Denver by 19 points. The Pels, the, their schedule has been soft recently to rack up some of these wins. And now it is like brutal. It's like, oh my gosh, this is awful. But when you pick, pick up a win at Denver, that's one that no one was counting on. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm not, i I'm not counting them out at all, despite their their tough schedule. I mean, I think they're pretty safely in at this point. It's just a matter of seeding. Yeah, very nice that
0: Jogic didn't play. He was um, on the sideline dressed in like a James Wick, uh, or a John Wick, sorry, James Wick. What am I talking about? John Wick uh, villain.
1: Look alike. I'm sure there's a James Wick out there. And yeah, obviously, that I I should have mentioned that that factors into it. But as we've seen with the Thunder, a win is a win in the West these days. Good old James Wick.
0: Okay, on to the Wolves. (laughs) The Wolves are one game better than the Thunder. The Wolves have had a big standing game. They have a big standing game tonight against the Lakers. Then they will have home against Portland. At the Nets, at the Spurs, and then home versus the Pelicans on the second night of a back-to-back. Close their season three out of their five games are against postseason teams. With the Lakers game, and then that Pelicans game are going to have huge standing in standings implications. Yeah, looking forward to that one tonight. And then the Lakers just touched on that. The Lakers lead by the uh, lead the Thunder by only half a game, and would play OKC okay, if the play-in were today. Uh, For their last six games, though, they have at the Wolves, as previously mentioned, at Houston, at Utah, quote unquote, at the Clippers on the second night of a back to back and home versus the Suns before one final game versus the Jazz. The Lakers only have three of their six against teams with uh, postseason chances. But most importantly, a ton of that run comes on the road with LeBron coming back.
1: Yeah, I I like where the Lakers are sitting right now, and I like how that schedule sets up for them. Yeah, not too
0: bad. And the Thunder currently sit at 10 seed tonight. The Thunder will play at the Pacers. Then Sunday home versus the Suns, who are looking pretty scary with Kevin Durant returning this week. At the War or at home. Oh, at the home Warriors in the Bay, since they're only good at home. At the Jazz, and then finally wrap up their season at home against the Grizzlies on Easter Sunday. So about three out of the five games against teams playing for seeding or in the postseason spot. Hopefully by Easter, as you mentioned, the Grizzlies are locked in their spot. Maybe rest some guys in Oklahoma City and do the Thunder a solid.
1: Yeah, there, there's some, there's a couple of tough games in there, notably the Warriors and the Suns, which puts more emphasis on a game like tonight where you got to take care of business at the Pacers.
0: And then last but not least, we go south to the Mavericks, who are currently one game behind the Thunder and would um need to beat the thunder by two games because thunder owned the tiebreaker but the last five games for the mavericks are at miami at atlanta second night of a back-to-back that is two rough road cities to have a back-to-back in i'm sure you know for from the party scene in miami and atlanta joe <laughs> what a nightlife and then they have home versus the kings home versus the bulls and then um home versus the artists uh formerly known as the san antonio
2: spurs in the season is what i put Man, I, uh, for for as crazy as this West,
1: like playing picture has been, kind of might like finish how it is now. Like, I I just struggle to, um, I struggle to see the maps getting through that. I mean, just with, just with the vibes down there and, um, yeah, it's, it's just not looking, not looking good, especially with the Thunder having that tiebreaker. Are we including the Jazz? Or are you stopping
0: at the Mavericks? I think the Jazz are sorted of out. I think they're like two or two and a half games behind the Thunder now. And they've, yeah, they've one, done one of the... One, one and a half. One and a half. But they're, they're doing one of the more silent tank jobs of sort of just fading into the background. It's been very smart by them.
1: Yeah. Although I say just just go for it. Like, who cares? Like like what the, like what the Blazers are doing. I, I, I don't mean go for it as like go for the play. I mean like, Just go go all in on the tank. No one's going to blame you at this point. Yeah, but it is Blazers, by the way, totally out of it um, and could get officially eliminated tonight.
0: Yeah, they're only unofficially eliminated after they sat Dame and it kind of waved the white flag, but should be very interesting um, to see what happens next. Uh, Joe, do you have anything in the pipeline that you're working on currently that the people
1: can look forward to? um yeah a few things but don't uh don't want to commit to any one thing if it doesn't come together but hey uh game coverage is going to be the most important uh stories coming up with with these next five games this finishing stretch we'll have more on the award races everything like that
0: got a bunch of cool stuff coming in the west um standings I don't know. Race has been a lot of fun. It's been back and forth the entire season. It looks like we're kind of hitting the point where everybody's tired and kind of tripping over each other, trying to get to the finish line. But we've got some really important and fun games coming up like the Thunder against the Suns, the Warriors and other ones that we mentioned, along with games around the league. But it should be uh, very fun, a lot to look forward to.
1: Yeah, for sure. Good stuff, Michael.
0: Sounds good. Well, always good talking basketball with you, Joe. Thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at Twitter on, uh, at Thunderbud. Pod, and we will talk to you again next time.